as I said many times, they talked about bringing in a world where experts would rule the masses, and we just jumped to it, jumped to attention and obey them. Bertrand Russell was one of the many who said this. They would, uh, uh, said eventually people will be unable to do anything, anything for themselves, even at home, even change a baby's diaper uh, without the advice of an expert. Well, all of that's happened in my lifetime. All of that's happened. Uh, all these prenatal courses and so on they go through because they don't even know how to raise a child or, or, or look after a baby. It was something that was unheard of unheard of, you know, when I was born. But I went back with more on this very thing, on reality versus the illusions after these messages. This is cutting through the matrix. Now, last night and tonight, you'll probably notice that the streaming, the live streaming, is breaking up for some reason. I don't know why, but it's not. Uh, it's not from my end. Um, it's from it's from the station RBN or the server, I guess, and it's causing the problem. So, uh, for those who email me, just to let you know uh, that I can't answer all the emails, but I do know the problem is there. And last night, too, it certainly kept breaking up every couple of minutes, five minutes or so, and whole chunks just were missing from the, from the service. But I try and record it at my end, uh, as it's done live, and uh, from an old-fashioned tape, of course, it doesn't break down. Uh, that takes an extra hour to put back through onto digital and, uh, and get it uploaded to my site. So you can always get it on my site, even if it starts to break up on the server when it's streaming live. And getting back to what I was talking about, about illusion versus reality, uh, what I do really is simply use memory and history uh, to show people uh, that, that life isn't just evolving, society isn't just evolving by happenstance. It never was, in fact. Those in power, if you look back into history books 300 years ago, especially in Britain, there were masters at sending out spies and diplomats that were spies anyway, that's just another name for spies, uh, across the whole planet where they planned to take over continents, maybe in a hundred years' time. And they put a lot of work into building up the, the system in order to take over a continent. It could take generations of steady um, infiltration, uh, setting up networks of uh, subverses in, in those countries that would serve you well and cause revolutions, etc. This is ongoing. It's always been that, that way uh, on behalf of those uh, who control, who are the rich, wealthy people who control economics, that standard. And so today it's the same thing. I, I simply tie things together that's in the regular media for people, point out what they really mean, and try different stories that are all related in some way or another together for you to show you uh, that uh, things are connected it's not just uh, a group over there they're deciding something in politics or one country and a group over the other end are doing something uh, by chance which happens to be the same the, this going it's going towards a global plan that's what my whole point is and it has been your entire life so don't look for a, a final cataclysm uh, we've always been going through vast changes uh, planned changes 
and as I say, the planned society was talked about prior to the French Revolution and written about by Voltaire and many, many other frontmen who were the propagandists for this big movement that was going to bring in a world of what they called the natural aristocracy. What they meant was, was those people who have the natural uh, ability, intellectual abilities to rule the world on behalf of the economic system or, or their masters. Today we call them experts. And that's what we're taught to obey. It's done really uh, through legislation. Uh, these, these aren't wars primarily or mainly on battlefields. We're, we're, taught of, we're, we're trained to think of wars as being two sides on a battlefield facing each other. And that's only one, one small version of what war is all about. It's economic war. There's all kinds of warfare going on all the time and subversion. That's what the job of MI6 and CIA is, is to subvert other countries and bring them into the global system, or really under the domination of the global system. That's what they're really for. And it's ongoing, ongoing. And also they want a managed population. Again, before the French Revolution, they talked about bringing down the population to a manageable size where they'd have just enough farmers to adequately feed uh, the ones they'd have to feed and there would be no surplus population. That was all part of it too. Because all this comes under economics. We come under economics. That's why in our lifetime, Unemployment exchanges went from unemployment exchanges to employment exchanges, uh, then to manpower, and then to natural resources and human resources. We're part of natural resources. We're self-perpetuating. We can breed each other, you see. Breed ourselves, breed the next generation into existence for those to rule. So we are a self-perpetuating species, a natural resource for those who rule the world. And when there's too many of us, they want to kill us down to a manageable size. In their own theories, in fact, because they, they run massive calculations ongoing forever uh, through computers with the same kind of stuff. The Rand Corporation is famous for this. They literally have a mathematical language and they feed all data or transpose data into mathematics, put it into computers, run it through, and out pops the so-called answers, which go back into uh, speech again. And they, they, plan, they, they, they plan and they advise presidents and prime ministers accordingly as to what they should do with their policies. We ran through the whole Cold War with uh, game theory. Game theory, uh, an idea of humanity invented by a paranoid schizophrenic, uh, an absolute nutcase, who had no redeeming qualities at all. Uh, he also, you can also be psychopathic, by the way, and be paranoid schizophrenic. And I think this guy had both, because he saw from his own point of view that people simply were little autonomous beings uh, where the world circled around themselves. He was describing the psychopath himself, so they had nothing else to relate to, you see. And so this was fed into the machines that everyone in the world was basically the same as himself, and you would do what would benefit you. You had no, no natural altruistic tendencies whatsoever. Was, there was no humanity involved in all of this. It was all for what I can get for myself. And they ran 
countries, the whole Western world is run on game theory via the Rand Corporation and their supercomputers during the entire Cold War. Well, they haven't stopped, you see. And they'll take a, a partial truth and put it into, into complete um, cloudburst, basically, uh, out in the outer space. It's true that people like to do things for themselves, but people also have been proven, especially in natural disasters, to help each other, often to the extent of losing their own lives. That's a natural tendency. The psychopath doesn't have that. So we are different, you see. We do things which are different. There's no doubt whatsoever that the U.S., for instance, has been known, even for its uh, people who have given to charity, is the most uh, charitable people in the world for helping other people across the planet even though their money is squandered by the established charitable institutions and that's uh, that is altruism you see the psychopath doesn't have it they can only do what benefits themselves personally and since 2001 this is the century for crisis creation because to stampede a herd from the field they were in, that was the 20th century, with the standard ideas, even though they've been chopping away at them for over 60 years, we were still in the old way, as the communists would say. And for historical necessity's purpose, they had to stampede us from, through one crisis after another, but first they had to give themselves complete authority, every country had to give themselves complete authority over the public in a warfare scenario. Nothing else would do. We'd object. But as the Club of Rome said in their own book, The First Global Revolution, they favored communitarianism, collectivism, to run the world under a global system. And they said themselves it would have to be run under a warfare scenario where people will give up their rights for supposed safety and all work together, do what they're told, even though they're sacrificing all the time in order to get this whole agenda through. Nothing else would do. And we've had that. We've had the banking crisis. We've had uh, the bailouts of the banks. We've had all the coming flu pandemics and all the rest of it. Yada yada yada. One crisis after another. All crisis creation. That's by the book. We're going by the book. You see, and every country is signing on to the same treaties via the United Nations, and that's what the UN was set up to do in the first place. To become the front for a global government that was its purpose read the books written at the time during World War II and published towards the end of World War II right up to 46 and the Treaty of San Francisco because they, they spelled it out that everybody who signed on was literally giving away their country everyone who signed on was giving away their sovereignty of the country to the IMF, the World Bank and all the other departments of the United Nations we were sold out all that time ago now this hype about the flu is quite something and remember the articles that I read I put up on my web website at the end of the show and you should grab the links and if you want if you're interested in the articles save them because the links do change from, from these different newspapers, etc. They do change or drop the links. And if you look in a month's time, two months' time, they may be gone. And truly, history is gone just like that now with the Internet. So easy, so quick to change reality. 
is instantaneous. It's like George Orwell's memory hole. It's there one day, it's gone the next, never to be retrieved again. And people constantly, especially if you're meeting people and you're trying to show them what's happening, you have to have the proof to show them. Unfortunately, you, you, your word isn't good enough. Your word isn't good enough. You have to show them the articles from mainstream. And even then, as you all know, I'm sure, you get a battle to get across to them that this is real and it's really happening. But you've got to have the evidence there. Here's an article here. It's from... It's from... Uh, this is how things are given to us, you see, so quickly. So quickly. Uh, this is from computerweekly.com about the Internet and how they're changing it. And it's not by chance. Back with more after the following break. Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix, and I'm going to show you how how we're conditioned gradually through gradualism, through little articles that come out from different sources, all at the same time, which almost subliminally direct us towards something to come. So that when actual events happen, we think it's all quite normal, and we, especially when it's from governments or big institutions, which really are part of government anyway, and we throw our hands up and say, "Oh." Well, what could they do? It's not their fault. Of course it's their fault because things especially to do with communications aren't given to the public and allowed to run out of bandwidth, for instance. Across the world, they were told this is coming. You see, this is not utter nonsense. Remember, the computer systems and the Internet was used solely and created by the military-industrial complex during the Cold War, at least and probably before, I think. And... What we get at the end is really obsolete stuff. They're so far ahead. And because they're always planning ahead, they don't miss something like the Internet. They had it all arranged before they gave it to the public. How long would have access to it, at least with the ability to have free communications between each other, before they reined it in? First, you've got to get them all addicted to it, to get all the businesses using it until they can't count anymore or use paper and pencils and then, then they can't do without it then you start reining in and using it for its true purpose which is data collection on every individual ongoing daily data collection that's part of it but here they are you see putting an idea into our heads getting us ready for a change and this is from computerweekly.com the 27th of April 2009 as I say, these are little, what they call little trial balloons that they get into your mind without really thinking consciously about the articles, but it sinks in, in little bits and pieces or bits and bytes. It says, unless the, the network infrastructure of the Internet is upgraded, users will experience slower and unreliable connections by next year. It's like that. No one noticed this. What a joke, eh? Growing demand for multimedia content and a growing number of internet users will put pressure on outdated networks and could cause serious problems for businesses. Websites such as YouTube and the BBC's iPlayer, which use a lot of bandwidth, will make the internet unreliable, new research claims. Well, no one, of course, knew, noticed that when the BBC first came out with their iPlayer, right? No one, no one noticed, just noticed it now. Utter rubbish. 
According to a, a report in the Sunday Times, U.S. think tank Nemertes said, as demand for bandwidth potentially doubles, computers will regularly start freezing and dropping offline as early as next year. Nemertes said the growing number of people working from home will also contribute significantly to the increased demand for bandwidth. Ted Ritter, an analyst at Nemertes, told the Sunday Times that the internet without network upgrades will no longer be reliable enough for business users. For business purposes, such as developing medical records between hospitals in real time, it's useless. The internet will become merely an unreliable toy, he added. Now remember too, I've talked about this before, the idea is to get us onto the cloud system as well. The cloud really is using remote servers to store all your data. You won't even need eventually a hard drive, technically. And that's the goal of all of this when you put it together, is to get us ready for this massive changeover into the new system where your computer won't crash anymore. Everything's held by this one system, this one global system that has everyone's data on it and how safe it will be and you won't have to upgrade your your spyware it's all done for you no more downloading programs it's all done for you and everyone will breathe a big sigh of relief now that we're safe again safety twitter and all that stuff you see so that's that article there and then we find in the Times Online, April 26, 2000. Beware surfers, cyberspace is filling up. You see how it's put out across different media at the same time? To get you used to the idea that it's a crisis coming. A crisis. This is by John Harlow. Internet users face regular brownouts. So they're using the term brownouts. That will freeze their computers as capacity runs out in cyberspace. According to research to be published later this year. Experts, oh, you know those experts again come out of our special rooms, predict that consumer demand already growing at 60% a year will start to exceed supply from as early as next year because of more people working online and the soaring popularity of bandwidth-hungry websites such as YouTube services and the BBC's iPlayer. So they're all repeating the same stuff. It says here, it will initially lead to computers being disrupted, going offline for several minutes at a time. From 2012, however, PCs and laptops are likely to operate at a much reduced speed, rendering the internet an unreliable toy. So they're getting the little, see these little buzzwords they put out, like little slogans, unreliable toy. That's twice it's been used, you see, in different, different uh, exposures of this story. But as I say, they don't miss this kind of stuff when they give it to you in the first place. That they can't. They're always. They have whole think tanks predicting the future, working on present data and projected uh, occurrences, etc. On every part of society, they didn't miss this. Don't think they'd ever miss this kind of stuff. The, the, the intention, eventually, once it's all on cloud, is to bring on mainstream media, the TV mainstream media onto the computer and they're going to get first grabs at bandwidth. That's what it's for. And I've read the articles before about that. The little guys are going to get pushed out gradually unless you can really, really pay big, big bucks. So be authorized ones only. I'll be back with more after these messages.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just showing the people how little ideas are floated to us. And remember that Jack Zilal said people learn uh, their downloads. They learn and, and understand their downloads subliminally, in a sense, by osmosis. In a, we, we don't think critically through anything. We just scan stuff with our eyes. But subliminally, the, the idea comes in that we're going to run out, run out of band with eventually, supposedly. And we're supposed to believe this utter rot as governments have been pushing nothing but computers and internet for years and years through schools, through everything and telling us the world has to run on it they didn't notice this this is utter rubbish and it's to get us ready for the next move to the next wave into the new system, the new internet which will be restricted and policed heavily and if you're a bad little person and you're anti-social in some way then they'll simply won't give you access to all the data that you need to even to keep going in your job, for instance, especially if you're working from home. This, everything is a tool of power, if you understand it. Money is simply that, too. It's a tool of power. And by convincing whole populations you need money, you change their system until they, they do need money. They can't imagine going back, or, or they don't even know how to go back to another way of living. Money's a tool by the very wealthy, those who get it printed up for them. It's a tool. And it's the same with everything that's, that's given to the public. It was much better. You see, even at the beginning, the whole intention was data collection and giving you fun at the same time. Fun's very important. That's why they put so much pornography all over the Internet. I never touched it until I thought it'd go on the air. And then I'd need it, you see. So I knew what its eventual intention was. And I knew it was also going to gradually get phased out into a new system of utter data collection and policing to watch you and they give you everything for free initially, everything's so free and, and everyone grabs all the free stuff and, and they start using it right away and they get addicted to it and they, they, they shed tears if they start to lose it I can remember when 9-11 happened and they showed a little uh, thing on television of a guy in uh, an airport I think in Toronto and he's standing with his useless cell phone because it's, they cut off all communications in the airports that day when it happened. And he's crying, literally in tears, because he couldn't use his cell phone. And I looked behind him, and there's all the Bell telephone booths along the wall. It hadn't occurred to him to go use one of those. That's, that's how people are. They get addicted to their little toys, and they can't think anymore. Here's an article about this kind of addiction, you see. From TechRepublic.com, June the 19th. It says officials in the city of Bozeman, Montana, are asking job applicants to turn over their usernames and passwords to social networking sites like Facebook as part of their background checks. Ho ho ho! So that's what it's really for, eh? That's what it's really for, and and people don't even think about that when they grab everything that's free and that was become mandatory and these guys there's nothing illegal about asking you for this if you want a job right that's how it's done 
mind you, they probably will hand it over quite happily because they, they give all their data to anybody that asks for it anyway. They're already trained that way. Who needs privacy these days, eh? Who needs it? And just before I go to the phones, I mentioned the other night about Obama uh, just spending day and night signing every treaty that, that, that had been shelved, every treaty from the United Nations. And he's, he's just going crazy signing these treaties. And here's an article here on the UN rights of the child. Now, the, now the rights of the child sounds wonderful until you find that once it's signed, the parents have no rights at all. That's what it's all about. Doublespeak. And I'll put this up to this link up on my site at the end of the show. It's from www.khouse.org. Khouse.org. It says, The Obama administration has resurrected the, the debate over the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and is pushing for the United States to finally join the treaty. Now, that's the only thing, the fact it didn't join it. Uh, that has held off once in a while through different states the children's agencies going in with SWAT teams and grabbing all the children because that treaty wasn't ratified by the US now it's getting rammed through not only rammed through he wants to update it to go even further just like he's doing with the with the, the upgrading and bypassing Kyoto to even stricter post-Kyoto ratification on the environment says, yet while ratifying the treaty sounds like a great idea uh, or effort to protect children, it would instead offer the UN inroads to dictate to American parents how best to raise, raise their children. According to the US Constitution, treaties are binding laws that must be followed by judges, even if those treaties conflict with the laws of the individual states. I, I never understood how the founding fathers could miss that one. Well, I don't think they did, did they? They're looking to the future. Because remember what Franklin said. He says that he hoped this this federation would be the beginning of a, a federation of the world. What is the World Federalist Society? An idea. It says here, except for the United States and war and torn Somalia, every single country in the world has ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Susan Rice said Monday that the Obama administration wants to find out when and how it might be possible to join. Horrible things are done to children every day around the world. I think it was about Uganda last week. Children march through the streets of the capital to raise awareness about the existence of child sacrifice in the country and to urge the government to outlaw the practice. In South Africa, men are selling their younger sisters and nieces into prostitution. Well, I'd also mention that they're doing that in India too, but they're an ally right now. They don't want to see these things. And in Afghanistan, 12-year-old girls are forced to marry grown men. And across the world, millions of children lack basic food, water, sanitation, medical and dental care and educational opportunities. Well, so did their parents. Right? Let's not lose track of things by the wording. But it's interesting that Obama's ramming this through. Because really, across the world, it's given all power over children directly to the state, to the government. Bypassing all parental rights or inputs even inputs on what happens to their children. And lastly, an article about Canada and inoculations from the Windsor Star. They got the government to says here, vaccinate Canadians, they want to vaccinate Canadians under 40 
and natives first say, oh, this is special. People again, experts. They don't just say it anymore. Just experts. We're trained to jump with experts, you know. It says five to 40-year-olds and Canada's Aboriginal communities should be the first to get vaccinated against human swine flu, experts say, as Canadian officials decide who gets priority for the flu shots. Under Canada's official pandemic plan, we've got a pandemic plan, the entire population would ultimately be immunized against the H1N1 swine flu. That means mandatory. But the vaccine will become available in batches, meaning the entire population can't be vaccinated at once. It might take four or five months to get all the vaccine we're going to get, during which time a second wave of swine flu may well be underway. Well, it's all bogus anyway. I'll, tonight I'll put up the, the, the old video links to the, to the old videos done with the last swine flu nonsense, pandemic nonsense outbreak that happened uh, during, um, uh, I think it was Ford that was in at the time in the U.S., to show you that utter farce of that, and never mind all the folk that died of the inoculation, because that's where everyone was dying of the inoculation or becoming paralyzed. Hundreds and hundreds of youngsters became paraplegic or quadriplegic because of it and had strokes. And the darn thing didn't exist anyway. Didn't exist. But that's the Windsor Star, and I'll put all these links up, including the videos on that uh, swine flu idea or, or the previous stuff up, up on my site tonight you can look into them for yourself I'll go to the phones now and there's Matt from Boston there's Matt there from Boston <laughs> yes I was wondering do you think um, history would be different if uh, Prince Charles won against the uh, House of Hanover in 1746 if it would have been different yes um, well, uh, we'll never really know. Uh, I've, I've read so much pro and, and against it, uh, you, you can't really tell what was going I even wonder, to be honest with you, if Prince Charles was part of the whole agenda. You see, they used that rebellion um, to... And remember, there's only a handful of Scottish clans joined that rebelling, rebellion out of many, many dozens of clans. But the, but the whole country... Um, was was uh, basically uh, put under martial law and they deported millions of people abroad at the time they needed immigrants to come to the Americas most of them were sent to Canada and, and, uh, and what became the United States but um, uh, they needed immigrants no one wanted to go to these countries because of the mosquitoes, the swamps and the, the weather and so on um, so they forced uh, millions of people off the land that that got rid of one massive problem to to the London establishment because Scotland was always rebelling, uh, and and I went through that whole thing in Culloden Moor where that battle took place, and I couldn't for the life of me understand why Prince Charles um, would bring his army to, to a desolate spot like that uh, on a plain flat battlefield, and then he didn't even turn up for the battle. He vamoosed. Uh, to save himself and left the guys to get slaughtered. I think it was a setup. You possibly right now. And I have yeah. one more question. Um, have you heard of Larry McDonald on the Korean Airlines flight in '83? Um, vaguely, I think vaguely, yeah. Um, I think you should uh, look into that. Y yes, I will. I haven't got the data yet, but I just had something come across, but no, no details. Yeah. Um, he was a congressman from Georgia, and he yeah. was. Uh, 
he was protesting the CFR and everything. And yeah, and he, he was shot down by a MiG. Yeah. And apparently, all the originally he was uh, landed on an island because um, there was no um, evidence of him being shot down, uh-huh. and and possibly they said he might have been taken prisoner, like because there was no bodies found. And the Japanese radio controllers originally said the plane had landed. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting story, but it's um, great to talk to you. Okay, thanks for calling. Yeah. It's interesting that, too, because so many people today, you know, people who bring down towers with hundreds of people in them to get an agenda underway or get wars started where thousands can get killed to get an agenda underway are capable of incredible things. To us, ordinary people, it's incredulous. But psychopaths do this kind of thing. And I know recently two people were brought down in that Air France crash. And I often wonder if they were the target of it. They both worked at the United Nations, but the guy was really into uh, stopping a lot of the massive arms trafficking into Colombia and places like that for the drug lords. And I do know from a little birdie that um, he's already said himself that the United Nations was utterly corrupt from within. In other words, he was going to whistleblow and bang down he goes in a plane with his wife, who was also involved in that line, and they're gone. It was the same thing with the woman who was in charge of the inquiry into 9-11 on behalf of the victim. She was going to talk to Congress the next day, and she went down in New York not so long ago, too, with a whole bunch of passengers. It's nothing to take down uh, 40, 50, 100, 200 people to get your target. And it's beautiful because people will think it's just a, an act of God, a freak of nature. It works every time. Because we wouldn't do that, so no one would do that, right? But I tell you, the real world is vastly different. You have subversives working by the, from the CIA, the Mossad, MI6, and other places around the world, uh, other countries around the world, all subverting other countries all the time. In Iran, there's a lot coming out of Iran right now with, with American involvement, British involvement, behind demonstrations and, and possible upcoming riots and so on. That's how they do it. They stir them up. Britain wrote history books on how they, they, they literally brought India together. It was a lot of independent satrapies, and they brought them all together under one nation to rule them. And they did it by going into one tribe and getting them to fight the guys next door. Well, they were already getting the guys next door to them to fight them once they conquered them. It, it was ongoing like this. It's a perfect science. And you know something? You can't stop them because it's done by subterfuge and lying and deceit and always pulling your hands out your pocket and say, see there's nothing in my hands I'm clean that's what they always do always subversion from within and they can do it to any country, nation or area or locality because they have all the money in the world all the training in the world and the communications and systems to back it all up you can't stop it. Now we'll go to Ben from California. Are you there, Ben? Hello? Hi. Yes. Alan? Yes. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name's Ben. I'm from California. Um, I was wondering if I could ask uh, a few questions uh, uh, in regards to Rudolf Steiner. Yeah. You're familiar? Yeah. Um, he, uh, for those uh, of, of your listeners who aren't familiar, he was a, um, a Western esotericist, and um, 
he made a, an interesting prediction, which I think um, has something to do with the, uh, the symptoms of our times um, and the things that uh, you discuss on your show. And uh, he, in a um, in various lecture cycles that he gave, he spoke about um, a being that he called Aramon, which was uh, just the esoteric uh, name for what in Christianity is understood as Satan. And he uh, surprisingly, or pointedly, said that this being was actually going to incarnate in a physical body. And that's yeah, that's all through all of the esoteric books, though, even prior to Steiner. And what he was doing was giving the traditional um, uh, same kind of messages about the same thing to come. You got the same thing in Theosophy written in the 1800s uh, with the coming Maitreya. Now, Maitreya it really means in esoteric and high science uh, a master or a god. But anybody in the true Hindu tradition can become a master and a god if they follow the right way, according to Hinduism. So really, there's, there's nothing new in this. They keep getting you ready for a new type of human to come. That's what they're telling you. And what they're also telling you is that some of them are already here these hidden masters that didn't have to come back and reincarnate again or incarnate again that, that's the story and they're only doing it for pure altruism to guide the planet that's the nonsense they give us and it truly is nonsense but I'll be back with more on this topic after these messages and this is cutting through the matrix I'll, I'll just finish on what, what I was saying there about uh, Steiner and others uh, there's no end of mystification and books written about mystification on, for the new agers uh, all put out from the same central cores really it doesn't matter which one or which version you read it you end up in the same place and there's something in humanity remember what Plato said whatever people have been made to do before and even in ancient times, in his day, 2,300 odd years ago, if you know the sequence of how to introduce it, it can be made to happen again. And it's a trait in human nature, and I've watched this my whole life, with various cults that spring up and go, come and go all the time. There's no end of people, no end of people, who, who are waiting to worship a human being. They want to worship a human being. We've seen this with various gurus that were brought over from India. And if you look back into ancient times, remember the pharaoh and the nobility were regarded as gods by the people. That's what they're trying to, re to reintroduce again. Now, in Gnosticism, and all of this stuff comes up through the centuries through Gnosticism, it never died away. It's called the perennial religion never died away. It always survived in different areas. And even in ancient times, even biblical times, the Gnostics were heavily on the go, involved in even the Samaritan groups, or as branches of them within the Samaritans, for instance. And the whole intent is perfectibility. And again, that cropped up again in Europe. And the Last Crusade was against them. That's why you have big movies made about the last crusade it's a little slap in the face a little hidden hint of a different a different and other last crusade 
against the Albigensians, Cathars, the Bogomils, etc. Different names for the same Gnostic group that were scattered all the way from the Middle East into Europe. And it used Kabbalah. It used philosophy from ancient times to, to, to more recent times. They have turned out most philosophers for the last 300 years that we've read in print. And it's the same ongoing agenda to have a world run by those who are perfect. And they've already decided at the top they are perfect. They call themselves the guardians. Plato also called them the guardian class in his book, The Republic, where the world will be run by those who are perfected. Or, let's see, another way, we'll use Benjamin Franklin's terminology, the natural aristocracy. It's the same thing. Same thing. And so don't get caught up in people who simply rehash, and, and uh, the different authors we've mentioned tonight all rehash the same esoteric stuff because we're all part of the same base. But because there's variations in society, they'll give you slight variations on how to put it out there to get you into their particular group, but you end up with a central group eventually if you can get up there. That's where it leads to. But the whole idea for the upcoming world, remember through transhumanism, is to create a race of perfect beings that will have immortality in this life physical immortality which is then coupled with their present what they claim as ongoing perfected reincarnations for thousands of this is a real religion a real religion that people are fond for and to, to, to top it all off they put a lot of nonsense out there too remember what um, what uh, Weishaupt said the greatest way to get recruits into our movement is to put out great mysteries and they do it all the time like this photon belt we're going to go through for the last 20 years and all become enlightened. Suddenly we'd all become wise and, and fight off the evil ones. That's still getting put out there today. It's all rubbish. You are your own champion. Don't look for other people to come and do it for you like a Maitreya. That's the bottom line. From Hamish myself, from a very warm Ontario, Canada, and good nights. And may your God or your gods go with you.